been interesting. It's, it's like life. Life is interesting. It can be, for, for me with this church planning process, it's been interesting because it's been really exciting, yet really unglamorous. It's been really life-giving, and yet just kind of boring in times. You know, it's just kind of been the, the nature of life. It's like you kind of want this big bang firework kind of thing, and it's just Life is just about being faithful and just kind of pressing through the day in and day out and the mundaneness of life. And, you know, in, in the midst of church planning, I, I feel like these last several months, I know these last several months, the Lord's just been pressing this issue on my heart. Kind of, it's the highest degree of Christianity. Something I kind of ran from, I don't know even necessarily why I ran from it, but it's, the Lord's kind of brought me full circle. And He's just been speaking to my heart through the scriptures concerning the issue of adoption. Concerning the issue of being children of God. And so this morning, I just want to spend some time talking about that. We're going to be in Ephesians 1 in just a little bit. So if you have your Bible, you want to go ahead and plop the finger there, you're welcome to. We'll be in Ephesians 1 this morning. But before we get there, I want to just give a little bit of a context. For me, I, I grew up in a charismatic community. And for some of you guys, you might be like rabid dogs, just hungry for somebody to say something charismatic. And maybe there's others of you that are kind of terrified by anything that has to do with the Spirit. So you kind of get wigged out, the heebie-jeebies, uh, when it comes to that kind of conversation. But for me, I, I grew up in a, in a more charismatic community from, from high school to college in these last five years outside of college. I've been in communities that have focused on several things, focused on the scriptures, focused on theological study, focused on revival and prayer and holiness and the gifts of the Spirit. And all of those things are great, and I, I affirm all of those things. We at Sojourn, our, our church, we, we are a charismatic community. We believe that the Holy Spirit moves today. We might not look like some charismatic communities, but we definitely... Uh, love the Holy Spirit and believe that He's active today. But being surrounded by, whether it's the charismatic community or the theologically focused community or maybe the, the holiness community, being around those kind of communities, I've found that I, I've never experienced, not that I'm looking for an experience, but I never experienced, maybe you could agree with me on this, I never experienced the, the profound mystery and the liberating power of the grace of God never truly experienced the liberating power of God's grace in my life. And when I say grace, I'm not just referring to the, the thing that we need to walk through the threshold. You know, like you need grace to, to pass the line of salvation and now you're good. I'm, I'm not referring to that in itself, though that's a part of grace. It's the enabling feature of grace, but there's also a sustaining feature of grace. It's kind of everything that has to do with salvation, the process of salvation is interwoven with the reality of grace. And so in those subgroups that I was referring to earlier, that I was a part of, I found at the root of them, maybe it wasn't necessarily something that was proclaimed, but something that I kind of took from those communities, whether it's the theological communities, or the scriptural communities, or the gifts of the spirit communities. I found that I was trying to find my identity with God by what I was doing for God, and not by what God has already done for me. When I, was, I was basing my standing with God, my identity with God, by what I could do for Him, and not what He's already finished and done for me. So many of us can find ourselves there. And the way it plays out is we, we look at our behavior, and our behavior qualifies us. If we've had a good week, our behavior qualifies us to come before God. And if we have a bad week, then our behavior disqualifies us. We come before the Lord. So our behavior becomes a barometer 
to whether we deserve to come before God or not. And so if we did good, we can. And if we do bad, our, our tail's between our legs and we just don't really want to do that because we base our Christianity around what we do. So God's love being free of charge it goes, goes against every fiber of who we are as humanity, as, as a human people. We, we are so prone to reject the free gift that God has given us. Why? Because our culture has instinctively uh, created us to um, do things, to uh, do and succeed, and in doing things, we find approval. And so we find it in work. If, if you have a quota, you have to meet that quota. And if you meet that quota, you get promoted. But if you don't, you have the potential of getting demoted. And so we take that model of business and just being excellent in what we're called to do and we apply it to our walk with the Lord. And so it plays out like this. It plays out like tomorrow morning you wake up and alarm's set for 5 o'clock. I'm going to get up at 5 in the morning, spend time with the Lord. So you wake up, the alarm goes off, no snooze in there, you... You wake up wide awake, you get in the Word, and it's just so good. You just have a, a sweet time as you read through Song of Solomon. You know, just, and then you get down, you're like, man, my wife needs to read that. That's good stuff. And so you leave that time, and you go to work, and you do your thing. You don't gossip. You don't, you don't get ticked when someone cuts you off on your way, and you go to work, and everything's good. You're just having a wonderful time. You leave work. You go home. You're... You're unloading the dishwasher without your spouse even asking you. And you love the kids. You don't get frustrated at all the whole week. And you have a sweet time with your wife. And you're not impatient with her. And the week just goes great. And so Sunday morning comes around. And you walk in here. And both strums that, that chord. And, and depending upon where you're from and the flow you're kind of a part of. You used to, the flow that's kind of created you to be who you are. You... Maybe the song goes off and you're just, yes, Lord, this is so good. I did such a, I met the quota and so I can raise my hands. Or if that's not your flow, maybe it's just, maybe it's the palms. Just, yes, Lord. Or maybe if you're more conservative, which is fine, maybe you just do the hands in the pockets, but the thumbs go up. And you're just there and it's just sweet and good. And so that's good. And, and you, because you met the quota, you're able to come and, 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 and experience the Lord because you qualified yourself with your behavior. But the following week comes along and, and Monday morning rolls out and 5 a.m. goes off. You snooze about 14 times. You end up being late to work. You're on your way and some person just cuts you off on Roswell Road as you're heading to work and you're just livid. So you make sure that they know that you're livid. So you lay your hand on the horn for about two minutes straight just to prove that they're a moron. And so you do that. And while they cut you off, the coffee goes all over your khakis and it's another brown and not normal. And so it just looks awkward in your, uh, the, the, the pantal area. It's not a word. But you're, you're just, you're ticked. And so you, you're cussing and frustrated and you pull up next to this person just to see who this idiot is and you look over and it's Kim Kramer. And he's like, oh man. And so just the week just goes bad. It's just everything about the week is bad. And so you, the, the crap hits the fan and everything's rough. And so you come in here, if you actually are able to come in here and the songs start and there's just, there's no way I can engage right now because I know that God sees me as a hypocrite. I know He's looking down at me. He's shaking His head and He's saying, you are an idiot. 
you keep falling on your face. And so that's how we play it out, just like with the model with work. We qualify ourselves by if we think we deserve to come before the Lord or not. So our view of God and the way we view Him, feeling like we always have to measure up, we end up putting a weight on ourselves that we cannot bear on our own. So we end up putting ourselves in time out for a week or two. And we don't run to the Lord and, and plead with Him to help us in our own weakness. We kind of run from Him and give it a week or two of a time out. And then we kind of slowly walk back into the Lord's presence. And so, like I said, I want, I want to focus in, in Ephesians chapter 1 tonight. And so just to give a little bit of a context, the church in Ephesus is, is the most talked about church in the New Testament. We see uh, in Acts 19 and then in Acts 20, we see uh, Paul in Ephesus spending time there and the Lord moves in that time and the Lord saves people in that time. And then we see Paul a little later on, he, he writes to this church in Ephesus when he's in jail and he also writes to this guy named Timothy who's an elder in Ephesus. And then in Revelation 2, we see that Jesus talks to John while uh, talks to John and tells him to write a letter to the church in Ephesus. So we see this, this broad picture of this church from conception to much later on. And so in Ephesians 1, depending upon your background, either some of these words that Paul uses, you're going to be like predestination. Yes, they're talking about predestination. Finally, someone's talking about predestination. You might get the, the fist pump or maybe you hear that and you're like, Man, I've got to pull my tomatoes out. There's no way I'm going to let them talk. I'm going to chuck some tomatoes at this guy. And so I'm not going to give a theological bent either way, but I just want to talk about these scriptures and, and what the Lord's done in my heart through these verses um, these last several weeks. So I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to jump into them. So Lord, we love you. And uh, Lord, I pray that you um, would move in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that we would truly um, be able to agree with Paul in Romans 8, that we would be able to cry out, Abba, Father. I pray that you would uh, do a work in our hearts by your Spirit and uh, do a work that uh, I'm unable to do, my words are unable to do apart from you, Lord. So I ask you would move in these uh, verses in these next um, several minutes. In Jesus' name. So Ephesians 1. We'll start in verse 3. I'm going to go 3 and 4, talk about it, and then 5, talk about it, and then 6, talk about it, and we're done. 3 and 4. Chapter 1, book of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. And so we see here, we see these, in these few verses, we see this thing where Paul says, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who's blessed us, chosen us. He's called us to be holy and blameless. And if we're not careful, we live in this Bible belt, which is, is, is a hobby for many. And if it's just a hobby for you, it's, it's a waste of time to, to make Christianity just like a country club where you show up and you dress nice and you put on your mask and you come in to the service. But if we're not careful, we can think that our own works are we can merit ourselves into, we can end up thinking that we are the reason why God chose us. And so it looks like this. We end up thinking that our own cuteness, like God thinks that we were cute enough, that God looked down on us and He said, Yo, JC, look at Bobby. 
Look, he's, he's got it together. Like He hasn't done any of those big, major sins that we talk about. We need to put him on our team. And so if we're not careful, depending upon our background, we can, we can think that we are the reason in our own morality that God chose us. That we, we did enough to find favor with God that he chose us. And, you know, Ephesians 2 tells us a little later on in the next chapter, I'll actually just read a couple of the verses in Ephesians 2, 1. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And so we see that regardless of where your background has uh, where you're from in the past, whether you grew up filthy rich or you grew up under a bridge. Regardless of if you just got out of prison for selling dope or if you've never smoked a cigarette in your life. Regardless of where you are, the scriptures are clear that we are all on the same playing field. And that is apart from Jesus, we are all children of wrath. Apart from Jesus, we are all sons of disobedience. Apart from Jesus, you and I all deserve judgment from God because of our rejection of his leadership in our lives we said he wanted to be our leader and we said you know what screw you and no thanks i don't want you to be a part of my life at all i want to autonomously lead my life apart from you leading my life and in us doing that we alienated ourselves from god and we rejected his ways and his leadership and so we're all on that same playing field every one of us regardless of your background we were dead to god and yet we were made for him And so we're all objects of wrath. This is just who we are as humanity apart from Jesus. So God choosing to bless us is not because of our own merit, but it's actually in spite of it. It's not because of our own merit, it's in spite of it. So we need to feel that you, you and I did nothing for God to choose you and myself. We did nothing on our own for God to choose us. You could not do enough. You could not have enough. You could not succeed enough to gain approval with God. The scripture says, because of our condition, we were alienated from Him. And so we see where we were. We were blatantly and explicitly rejecting God. We were enemies of Him. Because of God's justice, it was like we were in a courtroom and he saw our case, he saw our verdict, and in response he said, you deserve judgment. Your penalty is just and it's judgment and it's what we all deserve. So what God has done, this is a historical fact, God came in the flesh, the most influential man in human history, Jesus. Influenced more cultures and more people than anyone in all of history. God coming in the flesh, and He lives a life of perfection. Something that no man has ever done before. Lived a life of complete perfection, and He dies a death that no man of His caliber deserved. And yet, He died a death that only you and I deserve. See, He showed us mercy. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And so we deserved judgment. And he took that from us and put it on himself. 
Isaiah 53, it says that it pleased the Father to crush His Son. That it pleased the Father to crush His Son. So we were here and He came and he, we were in this pit. And He didn't just come and take us out of the pit. He didn't even just come and take us out of the pit and clean us off. He didn't even just come and take us out of the pit and clean us off and give us some money and say, go on your way. He took us out of the pit. He cleaned us uh, off. And He seated us right next to Himself. Putting us in a place of dignity and honor. Where we were down here deserving nothing but His judgment. And rightfully so. He came in His mercy and He seated us right next to Himself in a place of honor that we did not deserve. So because of His Son, Jesus, He calls these that He's seated next to Himself, He's called them holy and blameless before Him. See, some of you carry the weight of your past so heavy on you. You just can't forgive what you've done in the past. And here God is saying, in Christ, you are forgiven. You are blameless. You are pure as if you had never done those things. Some of you have never felt that freedom. In Christ, you are pure. And so we'll go on to verse 5. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. So this verse in particular has been so profound for me these last couple of months. Because when we consider salvation, we can often see the highest degree of salvation being justification. Justification is a theological term. It just means just as if you never sinned. So God sees you in Christ. If you're in Christ, He sees you as if you never sinned. Justified. And so we often can see that as the highest degree of Christianity. J.I. Packer, who's one of the most influential evangelical writers in our day, he says that there's a higher privilege the gospel offers than even justification. It's adoption. There's a higher level, higher than even justification. So to see God as judge is one thing. Now, you know how it is. You're driving on the road. It doesn't matter how fast you're going a police officer drives by you and you immediately slam on your brakes. Even if you're at a stop sign. So I, I got to make sure this thing stopped. Even if I'm already stopped. And we feel that way. Even if you have friends that are, maybe acquaintances that are lawyers or law, law enforcing agents. We, we have the tendency to kind of like feel really awkward around them. Because we don't want them to see anything wrong with us or they'll like arrest us or something like that. And so this is how we see people like that often. But when we see God as Father in Christ, it changes everything. When we see God as judge, which is biblical and accurate, it's one thing. But when we see God as Father in Christ, it changes everything. Most of the, re- most of the time, why we run from God in our weakness when we fall on our face, and we all do, one of the main reasons we run from Him is because we see Him as judge and we don't see Him as a Father. And so we run from Him because we think He's just going to want to punish us because of our weakness and because of our frailty. 
in love before the foundation of the world. He chose enemies to be in his family. And not just the black sheep. Not just the ones like, you know what, I'm going to get you to be my son, but you, you're actually really awkward and, and pretty, pretty annoying. So when people come over, if you could just stay in the bathroom the whole time, and then we'll let you out when, you're, when they leave. Like, it's not like that. It says that we are co-heirs with Christ, which means that we are brothers of Jesus. And when the Lord sees us, he sees us in the most bizarre sense as equal to Jesus as his son and daughter. To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God, the Father, is even greater. J.I. Packer goes on. He says, the, the richest answer to the question, what is a Christian? Is that a Christian is one who has God as Father. A Christian is one who has God as Father. He goes on and he says, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. So here we were. We were in this pit. We were, and he takes us out. He washes us off. He calls us clean. Regardless of your past, he calls you clean in Christ. And because of the cross, and he seats you next to himself, and he calls you he brings you close to Him in a place of honor and dignity. And He doesn't just end there. He goes on and He calls you a friend. But not just like a, a Facebook friend. He calls you a friend. And yet He goes on and He does the unthinkable thing. Though we are enemies of Him, He calls us His son and His daughter. He gives us a label that is so intimate and so close and it's only profound when we recognize that we didn't make it here on our own. The reason why He calls us son and daughter isn't because you worked enough and you, you did what you needed to do and, and made the quota. The reason why He did it is because His name is gracious. It takes you from that place and He brings you as close as He possibly can to Himself. He gives to us what we don't deserve. He gives us grace. His kindness wins us over because no one, no one loves like that. No one loves their enemy that way. When we think of enemies, specifically in the context of war, we think of wanting to wipe them off the planet. But he didn't do that at all. He actually received what we deserved to bring us close to himself. When we see God as Father, because of the work of Jesus, it shapes us. Instead of running from God in our weakness, we run to Him with boldness. When we recognize that He died for us when we were enemies of Himself, what makes us think that when we fall on our face, that we need to run from Him, His arms are, are wide open. Even in our weakness, even in our sinful condition, he's saying, run to me. Run to me. Don't run from me. My name is gracious. I love to show mercy towards you. It says in Ephesians 2, 4, it says, but God was rich 
and mercy. We just don't get that, especially if you're married. You just don't get that. There comes to a point when you say, I don't want to give you any more mercy. I've given it to you enough. Forgiving is difficult. It's costly. And yet he's rich in mercy. Even though you don't deserve it. And none of us do. God's not a mathematician weighing out our good deeds versus our bad deeds. Grace is counting them as if they don't even exist. Some of us can't accept this. Some of us say, it's just too good to be true. Ernie, you just don't know my past. You don't know where I've been, what that person did to me, or what I did to that person, the thoughts I've had, the things I've done. You just don't understand. Maybe your past was more pure and moral, but mine wasn't. You can't, I can't accept this. You don't know how dark my past is has been. I don't deserve that. I tell you, you're right. You don't deserve it. And yet that is what grace is. Giving to us what we do not deserve. It's in spite of us for He has loved you so unconditionally. Or maybe your experiences that you've had with a father or a father figure has caused the waters of a dad just to be muddied and you're not able to really uh, experience the truth of what it means in Christ to be called a son or a daughter of God. I want to tell you there is one who will never fail you. There is one who will never turn his back on you. There is one who will never break a promise. In Christ, by faith, you've been adopted. Some of you today have never, you've been trying all of your life to try to come to the table, try to do what you can to prove yourself in such a way that God will choose you so He can bring you to the inner circle. So you've been trying all of your life so hard, trying to be so moral, trying to be so this or that, and you just haven't, Accept the fact that you can't do it. You will never come to a place where you where you deserve it. And yet He's loved you extravagantly in such a way where He's given to you what you don't deserve. I want to end with verse 6. It says, To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. I love this verse because it's just like, in response to this kind of kindness, no man can show. He shows it so costly. He lays down his life to demonstrate this kind of love. And our only response is to just say, you're amazing. Who loves like you love? Who does this? Who, who loves me? We know us. We know the thoughts that have entered our minds even since we've been in this facility. We know we're so prone to know our own condition and we're so prone to wander. And yet to see how kind He is. It doesn't say His wrath leads us to repentance. It says His kindness. His kindness, Romans 2 says, that leads us to repentance. So this morning, I, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are in life. But, but I do know that some of you in here have never tasted the grace of God before. 
you've, you've tried so hard and felt like you've failed over and over again. You feel a burden that you cannot bear. The Lord just wants you to say, He wants, to, wants you to see how gracious He's been towards you. You don't need an angel to come into your room and tell you how much God loves you. You need to just look at the cross. The truth of the cross is the demonstration of love and kindness towards you. So if that's, if that's you, I believe the Lord wants to minister to your heart. And others of you, I believe the Lord wants to highlight that His kindness leads us to repentance. And so some of you have just been living in compromise. Just living very comfortable in the sin that you've been in. And the Lord wants you to see how kind He's been to you, but not allow that to be a cop-out to stay in that sin. But to be a means by which you say, man, I, I don't want to live this way. Like You've been too kind to me. And so allowing that to lead you to repentance. And some of you guys need to confess some stuff. Because he's been so kind to you. So if Bo wants to come on up, I'm going to pray for us. Ministry teams can come on up also. I'm going to pray for us. So Father, we thank you.